Frank Barnes, do you use a cell phone? Yes, I have it off most of the time because I don't want to get that many more calls. I want to be out of communication. <laughs> well, you personally are not that scared of cell phones. No. Do you think that they are guaranteed to be totally safe? No. Say that again. No. The answer is we don't know whether they're safe or not. The fundamental reason is we can't prove they're safe against those things we haven't thought of. But it goes beyond that. How easy has it been to get funding for the research that you think needs to happen? It's very hard. We've had funding once in a while over the last, what, since 1975 when I started in in this game. I've had funding two or three times, and the rest of the time we've figured out ways to go ahead and do things anyway. Okay, so you gather some students and you say, hey gang, let's see what we can do as an experiment just as part of our life here, let's just kind of clear a space on the desk and see what we can do. Well, there's the other side of it, too, is that there is good data that at higher levels under certain conditions, we have very good therapeutic results from using electric fields. Well, that's right. You're somebody who thinks that if we could fund this and figure out what might not be healthy about cell phone radiation, we might also find out that there's some benefits to using cell phone radiation in therapeutic ways, for instance, for healing bones. Well, it's not the same frequency, so you've got to be careful. It's not the cell phone itself. It's using electric and magnetic fields to do this. So you wouldn't mean that I could take a cell phone here and wave it over someone's body? I would not mean that. (laughs) But there's solid data in over 200,000 patients, maybe close to a million patients, have been treated on bone regrowth to help heal broken bones. There's some solid data that's showing that under certain conditions, they can regrow nerves in the spinal cord which normally have not been healed with applications of electric field or induced electric fields from magnetic pulses. For example, if you put a DC electric field, a plus on one side and a minus on the other side, and you leave it there, I think it grows rapidly towards minus side and the plus side, you get retrophy. If I'm an electrical engineer studying effects of electric fields on biology and magnetic fields on biology, I'm interested in the broad problem of what do these things do? Your body is an electrochemical system. All right. If we're applying fields from the outside and your body uses them normally to communicate with your nervous system to the brain, make your heart run, and so forth, understanding how these fields applied outside affect the biology, I think is an important and interesting question. Why do you think that the World Health Organization chose now as the time to say this is a possible carcinogen? Well, they have some data they looked at, the big interphone study, for one, and they said you can't dismiss that completely. Now, the interphone study was one that was done in Europe, which has more funding for cell phone radiation research than the United States does from government agencies. What did it find? The results were mixed, and there are 13 countries involved in this. The U.S. was not in it. Canada was. Basically, there's some data that indicates maybe something is going on There's other data that indicates people with low levels of exposure are better off and have a lower incidence than you would expect from the general population. Well, that actually, though, is an indication of effect. In fact, that's something that many cell phone researchers who are not industry funding have said is that as long as it's not neutral, it says that there's an effect, and if we don't know how to control the effect, there's an issue there. Well, that can be written off as selection bias on who responds in which case it has nothing to do with cause and effect. Depending on which side of the fence you're on and so forth, you can come up with different answers. 
Now, it is also the case, though, that in the Interphone study, they did find a somewhat higher rate of some brain tumors in the people who use their cell phones the most. I believe that's correct. I haven't looked at the raw data, but all the reports I've seen have been along that line. So you think that that's what prompted the World Health Organization to say, you know what, guys, let's say that it's a possible carcinogen. I think it's the fact that there was mixed results that led to it, and there are a lot of things in that category of what's a possible effect. Like what? I think down at the bottom of the list probably is cups of coffee every day. Maybe on the high end is something like exhaust fumes from your car. There are a whole lot of things on that list. And it just got longer. Yeah, well, they they added one to it. With cell phones, for a long time, the industry was reporting that the only effect from holding a cell phone to your ear was that the heat of the cell phone would warm up your ear a little bit. There was nothing in the radiation from a cell phone which would penetrate deeper into the brain and penetrate deeper into cells. Uh, For a long time, the reports were that that never happened. I don't think that's the answer. The radio waves do penetrate, but the only well-documented physical effect, which is solidly backed up with solid evidence, is heating. All right? The cell phone levels are small enough so that that heating is well less than the normal fluctuations in your temperature. And so the answer is that people presume then that it's not doing anything that you don't do all the time. Now, the debate and the question is whether or not there are other mechanisms that will affect the behavior of the cells in the brain. And that's an open question. Another question is, are there long-term low-level effects due to the fact, for example, that we've been exposed to radio waves from radio stations, TV, cell phone towers, etc., at the level of volts per meter, maybe one volt per meter, or even as low as, say, 20 microvolts per meter, do they do anything or not? And that's been a subject of debate. Well, as context, if I hike up Flagstaff Mountain here at this altitude, am I getting radiation exposure just because I'm at a high altitude in Colorado underneath solar rays? Yes, you're getting... You're getting things that are at a different wavelength. Now, ultraviolet, for example, has enough energy in a single photon to change molecular structure or to damage DNA in UVA, UVB. I'm not sure about B, but anyway, you've got enough energy in a single photon. In a single photon of radio energy, you don't have enough energy to do ionizing. And that's partly the reason people say they don't expect to see anything. Now, when you say ionizing, what is ionizing? What do you mean by that? It means I knock an electron off of an atom or a molecule so that it's free to move and act on another molecule or whatever. Okay, it means that um, things change. Yeah, and change, but they change at the atomic or molecular level. Well, we're talking about all of this because the World Health Organization has finally decided that cell phone radiation might be a possible carcinogen. That's not that different from the advice that you gave in your report to the nation in, what was it, 2008, that we don't know. It could be a possible carcinogen, but we don't know. We can't say that it's not. Yeah, that's correct. We can't say that it's not. I can give you a stack of evidence that says we don't see anything. I can give you a little evidence that says maybe there's something going on. 
Some of that has turned up in the last few years. For example, there's some data out of Oxford that says you can change in the range of megahertz up to maybe 80 megahertz that you can change free radical lifetimes. All right, So we can make changes in excited molecules where the energy comes from another process, not from the radio wave itself, but we essentially steer it. But the bulk of the energy maybe comes from metabolic processes. Exploring this avenue for possibilities of radio waves doing something to biology is relatively new. It's been talked about 10 years or more, but it's only starting to be followed up on a systematic basis in the last five years or so. Part of what I hear you saying, if I'm to think about it in my terms, is that, oh goodness, did you hear that? I hit the desk here. No, actually I heard a little buzzing from my cell phone just then. Because even though it's invisible waves, it does affect things, including microphones, cell phone radiation. Well, my telephone picks up when I turn my cell phone off, and my telephone at home buzzes. There's no question about it. Cell phones emit radio frequency waves. Otherwise, you couldn't talk to anybody. Yep, that's something they do, and a lot of people use them. Well, getting back to what you were talking about before with the Oxford study, it sounds as though what was going on is that the Oxford folks said that what happens with our metabolism our energy levels, what we eat, how we sleep, all of those things that affect our metabolism. If you add in cell phone radiation, it adds into the mix too. All of these things can be affecting us. No, you've got to be a little bit careful on that because the frequencies they talked about are a little bit different than the frequencies that we currently use with cell phones, which are in the 900 megahertz bands and from 1.8 to 2 gigahertz. And to my knowledge, experiments have not been done at those frequencies. And there's reason to believe that some of these things are frequency dependent. So the details make a difference. There's a lot of details. Yes. The biological system is very complicated. Just because you have a biological effect, it's not necessarily a health effect. High blood pressure is bad for you, right? What happens when you start to exercise? Your blood pressure goes up, but exercise is good for you. So you've got to be very careful about all the details in order to say whether you've got a problem or you don't have a problem. Well, speaking of being very careful about all the details, you mentioned that there's a stack of studies that say that there's no health effect or possible danger from cell phones, and just a few that say that there might be. Is what matters the details in those studies? I mean, do you just look and see which stack is higher, or was there something about that small group of studies that has made you go, we need to look at this issue of cell phone safety more closely? Well, I think there's some interesting things to look at as far as what's going on, and that's why I have some students working in the general area. Now, whether we will find something that changes the way one outlook, and particularly with respect to cancer, I don't know. You know, we have some new data, which I really don't want to go into detail on, that says you know, there's some interesting things to look at here, but they have to be repeated by other people. They have to be done very carefully. Well, it's just plain hard. That's all there is to do it. It is hard. We know that there are other scientists who have national reputations who have noticed that there can be things like DNA damage from radiation waves that are similar to cell phones. Dr. Lai and Henry Singh out of University of Washington have a study from a long time ago where they were able to see that there can be the potential for DNA damage 
Now, whether that study's been replicated or not, or whether there has been funding to allow it to even be tried to be replicated outside of industry studies, that's hard to say. Well, my knowledge, it's not been replicated. I'll give you another example a different way. One study that was done in Germany at 50 hertz showed an effect. They did not get it when they tried very carefully to reproduce it in Battelle in Northwest. They were using the same strain of rats, but from different nurseries. When they redid the study with the rats from the same nursery, they got the same results. All right? So here, they, I think they were sprig dolly rats or something like that. Everybody thought they were doing the same thing. It turns out there was a difference they hadn't picked up. All right, you're saying that they were sprig dolly rats, which is basically one of the most common strains of rats used in laboratory experiments, but they came from different places on the face of the earth, and even though they had the same genetic makeup, the fact that they came from different places changed the experiment. Yeah, well, I'm not saying, I don't know enough genetics to say whether they were absolutely identical or not, but there was a difference that people hadn't expected that led to the difference in the outcomes. Well, who funded each of the studies? Because there have been charges in cell phone radiation studies that if it's a study that's funded by the industry, say Motorola, quite often the results will say no effect. If it's an independently funded study, statistically it's more likely to say there is some effect. Statistically, that may be true, but I've done some work with the people at Motorola, and as far as I can tell, everything was reported absolutely honestly. Now, the way you design the experiments, some experiments are more likely to show something than some others. So I don't have any problem with the studies that I have gone through that have been industrially being honest results. They not necessarily investigated some of the parameters that I might think are important or other people think are important. So one's got to be very careful about that. And we have to be careful about how we fund things because we don't have infinite numbers of dollars. And yet you, despite saying that it's an awfully complicated area, have been saying we need more studies about the health effects of cell phone radiation. Well, I think that's because I think I see some things to look at. But I can give you results, people, members of the National Academy, that say no more money should be wasted on this. We hadn't seen anything until you get something that's different. Forget it. You've seen some things that you think should be looked at. Like what? Some of the things that we've seen that lead to a mechanism dealing with the free radicals. For example, we have shown that if we cancel out the Earth's magnetic field, we're changing the growth rates of two kinds of cancer cells and doing nothing to a third one. When you say you cancel out the Earth's magnetic field, how do you do that? There are two ways to do it. One is we generate a field that's equal in opposite direction so that it cancels. And the other one, we put it in a mu metal box and we cut the Earth's magnetic field by more than a, well, roughly a factor of 100. Does this have anything to do with cell phone radiation or is this just looking at how magnetic things can affect cells? It has to do with it because it shows that we're involved with the magnetic field at levels that are low. What we guess we're doing is we're increasing the barrier from the transition from a singlet state to a triplet state, which I know doesn't mean much to most of you. But there is a corresponding transition that could be excited by radio waves that would change the lifetime and therefore the amount of free radicals 
that are free to float around in the body, and we know that free radicals do things. Okay, let me see if I'm understanding the experiment you've been doing. The experiment you've been doing is canceling out the Earth's magnetic field. That's a change. That's something that bodies and cells are not used to. They've been immersed in this magnetic field, so you've changed what they're used to, and you're seeing it changes how their free radical formulation responds. We're changing growth rates, which is what we have done, and we have some data that shows we're changing free radical concentration. And you're guessing that if this happens when you zero out magnetic fields, it may be that changing the fields that we're in, including the radio waves we're around, might change how we're tuned also. Yeah, that's pretty close. In other words, we can also possibly change free radical concentrations with radio waves. It will depend on the details. It will depend on the amplitude, and it will depend on the frequency, and we have not done the experiments at the cell phone frequencies. Yes, and then there's the question of whether or not we always are better off when we change free radicals up or down. There's questions about that, too. Oh, yes. And then where they go, if you've got them, what they do to the biological process, and then what is the feedback in the body that takes care of this, because you have that fluctuating all the time. You can have a problem like the straw that broke the camel's back. Under one set of conditions, it does nothing. Another set of conditions, it does something serious. Well, there's another experiment that you've worked on here in your labs, which is looking at white blood cells. And if you bring a cell phone close to the white blood cells, which are still alive on the slide that you've just taken, the cell phone radiation can affect the direction that those white blood cells travel. That's correct. Those experiments are not as well controlled as the ones where we set up a signal generator to reproduce the carrier wave that's in the cell phones. The cell phone fields are more complicated, but yes, we have substantial number of experiments that showed we changed the direction in which these things move with the application of radio waves at 900 megahertz, and it works only about 70% of the time. But it does seem to work sometimes where this little white cell will be going along on its way on that slide, and the cell phone radiation comes along, and it changes its direction. It notices the fact that there's a radio wave. Yes. As I say, it works only 70% of the time. I can have the same student draw blood from the same student on successive days and get different answers. It may depend on what they had for dinner the night before. Are they stressed out over a coming test? Who knows what's back there. But we get different results on different days doing the same thing. Were they carrying a laptop? Were they carrying a cell phone? Was there a computer on in the room? There's a lot of variables. We don't know. Do you realize how frustrating this is for anybody who wants to find out an answer about how often and how long they should be having a conversation on this convenient thing called a cell phone? Yeah, I agree, but there are a lot of things we don't know, and we don't live in a risk-free world. It's a question in my mind, not is it safe or not safe, but what level of risk are you willing to tolerate? Well, I would say at this stage of the game, the risk is likely to be a relatively small number. Have we had cell phones long enough to be sure about that? No, because the latency, for example, on brain tumors, I've seen numbers 10, 20 years. All right, let's suppose it's 20 years. We haven't had cell phones that long. Besides that, the frequencies, the power levels, the modulation techniques have all changed. 
the modern cell phone emits less than the old analog cell phones that we first started with. Okay, let me see if I'm understanding what you just said. The latency period for cancer, that means the time from when something insulted a cell to start the damage going toward brain cancer, for instance. The hit that gets the brain cancer started can be as long as 20 years before it finally shows up. And we haven't had cell phones, very many, in the last 20 years, so we really don't know on that one. Yes, you're absolutely right. All right. And also, cell phones have been changing. Yes, cell phones have been changing. And you like to have a cell phone that you don't have to charge very often. And so people, have, there's a big premium on making them more efficient and radiating less, less energy. Well, if they radiate less energy, will that solve all the problems? Or is there another aspect of cell phone radiation that might matter just as much as how much radiation they're giving out? The answer is we don't know. Do you realize how many times you've said we don't know? <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Okay, so here we have this report from the World Health Organization classing cell phones as a possible carcinogen. You're not surprised. You're not that worried about it, and yet you say this is not something to close our eyes about. Yes, I agree with you. It is a change from where they've been, but it also isn't the same kind of change. They classified it 2B. There's 2A, and then there's basically 1, all right? If it was 1, it would be a proven carcinogen. But you can have things that are proven carcinogen and be dose-dependent because you've got a lot of feedback systems in the body that corrects for things that go wrong. None of us would be alive today if we didn't have repair systems. Now, you say dose-dependent, which means that the more of the stuff that you get, the more likely you are to be poisoned by it. But there's another side to dosage, and that's how young were you when you were exposed? Because some exposures to a very young person can be very tiny and still cause huge effects. You're correct. In other words, it can be time-dependent. We don't know whether a short dose for a high period of time, average long-term dose. We don't know what's a meaningful parameter here. Okay. Well, I, I gather from all of this that we're going to be stuck not knowing. Yes. I think we're going to be quite a while before we have this well-defined, other than the situation with regard to the thermal. And then even if I look at thermal perturbations, I'm not sure we understand those as well as people kind of think we do. Okay, so we do have both the heating up from the cell phone held close to the head and the radiation from it, a lot that we don't know. Well, I'm holding an iPhone right now in my hand. No buzzing from it right now, but I want to check and see. I've, I've, I've heard that on a cell phone in fine print, there are numbers that can tell you what kind of radiation this particular phone is emitting. Have you heard of that? No, but I'm not too surprised because they've got a lot of capability in terms of what they're doing. The FCC has reported that you can look on the back of a cell phone, probably with a magnifying glass, and find the right numbers to look it up on a chart to see how intense the radiation is from your cell phone. Would that make a difference about the safety of the cell phone? We don't know. But the thing is that number is going to change depending on how far you are from the base station, what other traffic is going on, and so forth. So that number is going to go up and down all the time. Okay, well, here's another question for you. I have in my hand now something called a Pong cell phone case. See how when you look at it, it has little tiny wires in it? Mm -hmm. This is advertised as being something that draws the cell phone radiation to the case so it's not going to go towards you. It sounds almost like how if you got bitten by a rattlesnake, um, you could suck out the poison and keep it out of your circulation. 
Is this something to take seriously as possibly beneficial or not? You have to look again at the details. Most of the ones that I have looked at are frauds. Now, that doesn't say you can't do it. I don't know on this one without putting it in the lab, making some careful measurements on it. There is a way to prevent the cell foam from radiating in the direction, in one direction. So you want it to radiate away from your head to the base station. Most of the, of the antennas are designed to radiate in all directions so that you don't have to wind up changing the position of where you're holding the phone in order to con communicate with the base station. So for convenience point of view, most of the f things radiate in all directions. Typically, the largest part of the energy you lose is not in your head, in your hand. All right? So far, nobody thinks that makes any difference that I know about. You haven't heard of hands having more tumors. I haven't. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> who knows? But I haven't heard anything about that. Well, in fact, I was wondering with this kind of case, if it kind of sucked the cell phone energy toward the back of the case, and then you put it in your pocket facing with the case toward your leg, would you be more prone to tumors in your torso? I don't know. But again, that's a kind of question that it takes some real work to figure out whether they're doing anything and first to figure out what the fields are. And then the question is, do the fields do anything to the biology? So there are two different problems there. Well, okay, here's another question for people who are wondering about cell phone safety. What about if I take the headphone that I use for listening to recordings and plug it into my cell phone there? Will that protect me more from the cell phone radiation? The farther you get away from the radiating body, the smaller the energy dose you get into the body, okay? So if you hold it away from your head or you've got it sitting on the desk next to you or something, you're going to wind up with less of that energy getting into you. You know, I've read some reports that say that some of the stuff that might be hazardous can travel up the wire. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true? Sure. Some of it can go up the wire. Some of it... You've got to look at all the details as to where things go and say what the numbers are. For example, holding a phone away from you fine one time and you're standing next to a filing cabinet and it's reflected back and you get it all coming back at you. So, again, it depends on the details. And, and we're actually not just talking about cell phones, are we? Because there are laptop computers, there are wireless phones, there are radios, there are TVs getting signals. Yes, you're right. We were evolved in a world where our magnetic field was the Earth's magnetic field, and now we have all these other interesting things that make our lives much simpler, but they have invisible waves. Well, you were getting waves from the sun in these frequencies and so forth. The levels are a lot different, and the reason we can use them for communication systems is that what we get out of the cosmic radiation from the sun is very low in the bands where we want a communication, so we get good signal-to-noise ratio. Otherwise, if the sun were very noisy, for example, try sending an optical signal close to the direction you're getting the sunshine from and see if you can see the light when it's next to the sun. Obviously, you're not going to see much. No, we have been exposed, but at much, much lower levels over most of the frequency band that we're using for communications. Our bodies are used to being bathed in a certain kind of energy that's probably very subtle and delicately cast, we are shifting this in subtle ways with all of our electrical conveniences, for better or worse. Yeah, we're certainly 
applying much stronger signals over this than we get normally. We don't really quite know how to shield ourselves from these technologies, the invisible waves of these technologies that we've created. They're great technologies. We don't know if they're totally safe. Who's most at risk if they're not? I don't know that we know, but you would probably assume that people that have other problems. You know, they're like, if you're old and sick, if you're very young, various people whose body's defense mechanisms are either stressed or not as well developed would be cases where my first guess is where you'd look. Oh, so you are inclined to think that if someone feels like they're electrochemically sensitive, if they're sensitive to electrical emissions, that's not something to dismiss out of hand. It, there may be something to that. Yes, but all of the experiments that I know that have been double blind have not been able to show that the people who claim to be electrical sensitive, and they have real effects and they're real problems for them, have been able to tell whether the fields were on or off in a, situ a closely controlled environment where neither they nor the experimenter knew whether the fields were on or off until afterwards. What would you like us to study more? It's important to try to develop this path that goes from the physics through the chemistry to the biology and from the biology to a health effect. Because each one of these steps involves a lot of work to describe accurately. The part we're farthest along on is being able to say what the electric and magnetic fields are at any given place. We've got good computer models that allow me, you tell me what the antenna is, you tell me what it's radiating, you tell me exactly where you're holding it, I've got a good model of the numerical man, I'll give you a calculation that's probably quite accurate on exactly what the fields are in the ear or one millimeter, five millimeters into your brain, whatever. That part of the problem is relatively well solved. What it does to the biology, I haven't got a clue. If you had a grandchild who had access to a cell phone a lot, would you kind of suggest, uh, keep that, why don't you stay off the cell phone some? Well, my general conservative position would be, you know, use it when it's important. Don't use it for a whole lot of gossip and chit-chat, whatever. In other words, I'm perfectly fine with my two grandchildren having a cell phone and using it to check in at home and say, all right, I'm on the bus or I missed the bus or whatever. I've got no control over what happens, so what Grandpa says may or may not make any difference. But my recommendation is, no, they don't spend hours a day on it. It's mostly just because we don't know what the answers are. I mean, if you're going to, I like to ski, for example, all right? You know it's risky, all right? It's worth it for me. I enjoy it, all right? So it's, I think the cell phone, uh, all right, it's probably, if anything, a low-level risk, all right? Use it when it makes sense to use it. Well, how about my sons who don't have landlines? They just have cell phones. They do a lot of business on their cell phones. If it's sufficiently valuable, you, okay, you're taking a risk. We don't know how big it is at this stage of the game. So you'd say at least use headphones. I could say that. That wouldn't be hovering too much to say, well, guys, maybe use headphones. 
I don't know how much in, that would actually improve things for them. You know, it, again, it's it's what's your risk tolerance? In other words, are you going to drive home tonight? Are you going to pick your kids up from school and take them back? We lost a good pair of friends of my daughter's when a fellow was got mad, was drunk, drove across the highway and wiped them out. They were doing absolutely nothing wrong on a four-lane road, and the guy came across the road and wiped them out. So we take risks every day. We don't live in a risk-free world. So I think you don't want to put this in the no-risk category, but where you put it in the table and what risk you're willing to tolerate is, is very much a personal decision.